Somebody's gonna go bridge here. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Gone Bridge Podcast, episode 18. My name is Andrew Gardner, joined alongside by Alex Clausen and Steve Brady. Boys, how are we doing today? I was one hell of an electric info intro gardener. I am feeling like Pablo Sandoval at an all-you-can-eat buffet right now because baseball <laughs> is back, baby. Yeah, I'm hyped up. It got me more hyped up now. Love that spring training's underway. Let's get into it. I'm gonna run through a brick wall. Let's go. Uh, yeah, spring training is here. Truck day is in the past. Uh, we got a couple guys who are looking great, but first. Jackie Bradley Jr. is off the market. He's headed to Milwaukee on a two-year, $24 million contract. I think we said a couple weeks ago he was looking for that four-year deal, and we were all like, no, nothing more than two years. And look at that. We were right. Yeah, he was the best remaining free agent on the board. Got two years, 24 mil. Looks like he can opt out after the first year. Uh, I think it split 13 mil the first year, 11 mil the second year. Uh, sad to see him go, for sure. Probably the best defensive center fielder we may see in our entire lifetime. Thank you, Jackie, for all you did for us. Red Sox organization, that home run against the Astros in the playoffs in 2018, that was nice. Sad to see him go. Yeah, rest in peace, Jackie Bradley and the Killer Bees. Sucks to see him go, but... It's just a business at this point. Um, you know, I guess I'm not surprised that he left the Red Sox. It kind of seemed like it wasn't the right time for him to be on the team. The Brewers took me by surprise. I didn't see that coming. Um, I would have expected him to go to a team more like the Astros. That was a little closer to contention. But, you know, if the money's there and the Brewers are still a good team. So he'll add some good value and he got the bag. So good for Jackie. I think this is a good signing for the Brewers, honestly. Um, I agree. I mean, the Central, I mean, the Cardinals got Arenado, but besides that, the Central's pretty mediocre division. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. As for the Red Sox side of things, for me, I mean, I think we all knew this was coming. This is more of just a nail in the coffin for me that like 2018 is over. And it was like bets left, and we got all the highlights from him, and that was painful. And then Benny got traded, and we saw all the highlights of bets and Benny together. And now that Bradley's gone, I'm seeing all these pictures of like killer bees are done, which they obviously are. Uh, And it was such a short-lived era, which stinks because all three of them are homegrown. They won a championship in basically their second full season together. And now we don't have any of them. And it hasn't even been three years since we won the World Series with them. So I think it's more of just a, damn, this really stinks rather than I'm going to miss Bradley. I mean – he was a great player for a bunch of years, but I mean, you look at some of the stats I mean, he was streaky at times. He never really could push, push through to what we fully thought he would do with the bat, but I will definitely, definitely miss him. Yeah. It's the end of an era. Like you said, Killer bees are gone, but that being said, spring training being underway and being able to watch a lot of these young guys, a lot of these prospects uh, ball out recently, like uh, Durand and Dahlbeck. It's been exciting to watch, and it gives me a little bit of hope for the future of this organization. Just yeah, I'll say with Duran lighting it up in spring training as he's doing, we're recording as the game is going on, and he's two for two with a double and a homer. So is that good? If this is any sign that uh, Duran come out up and replacing Bradley isn't such a bad thing. 
That's good, Steve. I think so. That's what I've heard. Okay. Is a five fifty six batting average good as well? Uh, wait. Let me think. Fun, fun fact: that is one hundred and fifty six points higher than Ted Williams' batting average. Yeah, that's good. It's actually a hundred and forty seven because he hit what four hundred nine. I don't know. Quick math. Never mind. Uh, you're, uh, you're an accounting guy. You got the no numbers idea. better than I do. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're gonna miss Bradley. But man, the Red Sox are slugging in spring training. I mean, that first or second game against uh, who was it? It was against the Braves. That was pretty ugly. I don't want to get too far into the spring training here because I mean, it's still the first week of March. There's still guys in the lineup who I've never heard of. But I mean, looking at some of the individuals. Um, Besides that really sloppy game against the Braves, the teams look pretty good. Yeah, who excites you guys the most? Not even just prospects, maybe new additions, just from the last, what, three or four spring training games? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'll let you go first, Gardner. I was just going to – I think Jeter Downs, honestly. I feel like people kind of forget about him because it's – people focus on Verdugo. It was like, oh, it was Verdugo for Mookie. But people forget that we also got Downs and we got Wong. And Wong isn't supposed to be, you know, the next Jason Veritek, but he's going to be a decent catcher. And Downs is our second baseman of the future. I mean, I could – I don't know about this year, but 2022, I definitely see him having a good shot at being our starting second baseman. And he's looked pretty solid. Um, he's not going to be a guy who's going to hit 30 home runs a year, but uh, he reminds me a little bit of Pedroia, a smaller guy, gritty. So I, I really like him. Yeah, they've had him at short a little bit. The you know they're moving him short to second and a little in between there. But so far he's looked good. Um, Duran, who we just talked about, has looked great. And then who is the other guy that I was just thinking of? Dahlbeck. Dahlbeck has looked fantastic. Kike. Kike. Kike has done has made some good plays. I think he hit a homer in their second spring training game. Mm-hmm. So Kike's looking good. Dahlbeck, um, as you mentioned, is hitting moon bombs. So. All good signs. Kike's got that dad strength now. Jack, so, that's I mean, that's right. Yeah, it's like Mike yeah. Trout. Remember that? Oh my gosh! Yeah, day and night. Kike's exciting because he's been producing at the leadoff spot in our lineup. So maybe we got a consistent leadoff hitter now. Yeah, That'd we'll have nice. to see. I saw Cora came out with a quote that he said he respected the Red Sox decision last year to have JD bat second for most of the year, but he said that he's going to be moving him back into the middle of the lineup. So, yeah, well, that basically means what idiot put JD <laughs> two in the lineup. Yeah, He's like, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to trash Ron Renneke, but what the hell were you doing here? Yeah. But Duran also lighten it up. Duran Duran hungry, like the wolf. Shout wanna, out to them. Yeah. We want to propose a little uh, Duran nickname here. Steve, Steve was, we were brainstorming the other night. Fits together, Duran Duran, a band from, I believe, the 80s, a little before my time, famous for a song called Hungry Like the Wolf. Duran's an upcoming prospect who's hungry for success. Duran, new nickname, The Wolf. Book it. If she sticks, she sticks. I love it. We need shirts with that now. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be. I guess we'll, we'll be rocking with that. Section 10's got their nicknames that latch on. We'll get Duran before they can. Hell, yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say, which I didn't realize before we swing it into our interview, which we'll talk about in just a sec, uh, I didn't realize that Jeter Downs officially was named after that overrated shortstop in Derek Jeter. 
I also did not know that. I saw that on the broadcast the other night. They were like, his mom loved Derek Jeter, so they named him after him. I think I, I think I heard that when he got traded, and it was they pointed it out because it was ironic. Certainly well, ironic. Hopefully, he's as good as Jeter. I saw that would be nice. The other day, where it was like, Jeter Downs needs to come up for one game, field two routine ground balls at second or shortstop and he would be a better the best all-time defensive jeter in mlb history that's right hey i don't see uh many wrong points with that anyways uh yeah so jackie's gone it stinks but we'll swing it into the interview here so we threw out something on our instagram yesterday uh because we've kind of kept this under wraps who we were gonna have on on the show today and a lot of people guessed pat light no, it's not Pat Light. It's not Pat Light. Pat, Pat Light, Light doesn't. Fun fact: Pat Light doesn't like us. Pat Light does not want to have anything to do with us. Well, fact. he doesn't not like us. He just ignores us really, really hard. He's definitely really good at that. I'll give him credit um, for that. But we have Jonathan Van Every on the show, uh, former Red Sox outfielder from 2009 to 2011. Uh, he, he gave us some great stuff. I thought it was a superb interview and we will definitely be having him on the show again in the future. I had a lot of fun working with him. Uh, so yeah, you guys got any things to say before we move into it? Shout out JVE. Great guy. Great interview. Friend of the program. Enjoy. Yeah. Huge shout out him. He gave us some really good content, really good content. So I hope you guys are excited as we are. To give this thing a listen. It was a good one. Before we uh, move into it, um, we, there's a little JV trivia here before we move into it. He was one of only two guys in Major League history to have something happen to him. If anybody can guess what that is before the interview, big props, big props. But anyway, we will swing it into the JV interview right now. So enjoy. Well, we have a very special guest here today, former Red Sox outfielder Jonathan Van Every. is hopping on the Gone Bridge podcast. Jonathan, we really appreciate you coming on today. How are you doing today? Yeah, we're doing great. Glad the snow's over. Uh, Nashville got probably five, six inches of snow and ice over last week, so enjoying the 65-degree sunshine. It's more like it. Oh, we, uh, yeah, we're all up in New Hampshire. I, I know I speak for all of us. We say we wish we could uh, – get that weather right now. It's been, it's been freezing up here. Um, so we wanted to, we'll start off by asking you uh, how you got into baseball. Um, you know, how did you start? When did you start playing when you were younger? And uh, you know, why did you enjoy it so much? I guess, you know, when you're growing up, you either when you're in little league and stuff, you either a lot of kids either had the gift or they don't. And that's kind of the separator in T-ball, the coach pitch. As you come up, when I was a little kid, I grew up in Carrollton, Mississippi, a little podunk town in north central Mississippi. And I saw these giant horse apples on the side of the road. And that was my first word, ball, pointed to a ball. Um, but no, my dad was a big baseball fan. Um, and I just I had played it since the time I was three years old, started you know, playing t-ball, hitting a ball in the yard, whether it was uh, hitting a little golf ball in the backyard, hitting a baseball or a rock or with a broomstick or anything I get my hands on. Everything was centered around hitting some kind of ball with some kind of bat. So it, it started from a very early age and just 
I never stopped. Now, I don't do what these guys do these days is this travel ball stuff and play all year long. That's, that's insane. But, um, but yeah, every year since I was probably three or four, I was playing baseball of some form in the summer, never stopped. So that um, I can go in a little more depth if you want me to. <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah, go, yeah go, go for it. Yeah. If you want to uh, kind so, of, yeah, I mean, you know, did the, did the T-ball, the little league thing, uh, got into high school. Um, I was actually, didn't really play on my high school team. Our high school, Northwest Rankin, I don't know if you guys are, I know you haven't ever heard of Mississippi baseball, but Northwest Rankin High School is probably one of the premier high schools in the state, uh, talent-wise in baseball. And they have arguably like a Division II style facility, Immaculate Field, Immaculate uh, Stadium, Clubhouse, all that stuff. And, you know, one of the big things is raising money on your hit-a-thon. And I was in ninth grade. I didn't care two poops about raising money to try and support this field. And so I I got removed from the playing field pretty quick. Didn't really get a chance to play and ended up switching schools to a little bitty academy down the road. Won two state championships, uh, ended up going to Ole Miss, full ride baseball scholarship. And, um, you know, just kind of kept, kept going from there. I have a lot of uh, intervention times. One was in high school when the coach told me I basically wasn't good enough. I didn't raise enough money. I need I'd be better suited to go somewhere else. The next one, I go to Ole Miss. I play for a year. I redshirt. They saw me as a two-way player, played to play outfield and pitch. Once I got there, all I did was pitch. Didn't pick up a bat, didn't catch a fly ball, only on the mound. And at the end of the year, um, they ended up cutting my scholarship after all that, after all was said and done. And so that's how I landed at Itawamba Community College. So the guy at Itawamba, his name's Chuck Box, he was actually a, actually recruited me out of high school to go to Freed Hardman University up in Tennessee, close to where I am now. And, um, you know, had two great years there, got drafted after my first year, um, first team All-American, and then signed to go to Alabama. Uh, in the fall, didn't end up going. They threw some, uh, I, let me back up. Sorry, I'm a poor storyteller. So after my first year of Itawamba, put up good numbers. I get drafted by Cleveland, the 29th round, 2000. Back then they had what's called the draft and follow process. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that or not. No. So once a kid gets drafted, the team that drafts him basically held his draft rights for a full calendar year until the next draft. And they could sign him at any point in between that time frame. So what teams would do is a lot of times they would draft these high school kids or even a JUCO kid late in the 45th, you know, close to 50th round, follow their progress and try and sign them for the next draft for a cheap price. Well, I, I bought into that because I was a poor kid from Mississippi. I didn't know any better. So I got drafted in 2000 by Cleveland. They followed my progress up until the next draft, 2001. I signed probably like three weeks before the next draft. That's awesome. With Cleveland. So yeah. That, yeah start yeah. my uh, minor league progression from there. Yeah. So we were going to ask you, uh, how was that experience with the draft? Were you kind of expecting to get drafted in the position that you were? And how excited were you to get drafted by the Indians? I, th- I think I was somewhat expecting to get drafted. I had no idea where. Because, you know, draft day, it's kind of like, I mean, the football draft. You get drafted in the first round, you get not drafted at all. You just mm-hmm. you have no idea how things are going to pan out. Mm-hmm. But it was a pretty exciting day because I remember I was 
I forget the exact number. I was picked like 8-12 or something by Cleveland in the 29th round. And then my teammate, who was from Australia, who was actually living with me during the summer, was two picks later. So if I was 8-12, he was 8-14 by the Yankees. So you have these two kids in the same household. The phone's just ringing off the hook saying, oh, Cleveland's calling me, telling me I got drafted. Then you got the Yankees trying to get in to tell Ben Lindsay that he just got drafted two picks later. So it's kind of a, a chaotic hour or so right there on draft day. But, I mean, it's, it's surreal. You know, anytime you get drafted of that sort, I remember I still got the – John Hart was the general manager at Cleveland at the time. I still got a handwritten letter from John Hart saying congratulations on your selection to – uh, be a Cleveland Indian. So, I mean, it's a, it's definitely a surreal moment. It becomes actually your, your dream of professional baseball becomes real at that point. Like, wow, this is really going to happen. It's really got a chance. So, yeah. so it's like your journey wasn't necessarily linear, smooth sailing the entire time. No. Like you said uh, very briefly that your coach in high school told you you weren't good enough. How did you deal with like adversity, these people that are supposed to uh, know what they're talking about, about the sport, telling you you're not good enough? How'd you deal with that? And how'd you push through it? Basically tell them to screw off, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be the one that dictates how good I am and how good I'm not. And, you know, if I, I kind of wish in my old self, I would take my young self's advice a little more in, in day-to-day life, dealing with what I deal with on a daily basis. But um, you just... I mean, if it's something, anything that you're passionate about, like I was really passionate about baseball. I really thought I was good enough to play at the next level. And I had the will and determination and I wasn't going to let a coach or a scout or anybody else tell me I wasn't good enough. I was going to prove it, prove to them that I was good enough or I was going to prove to them that I wasn't one or the other, but I was going to make that decision. I wasn't going to let anybody else tell me I'm not good enough to do anything. So you just keep pushing forward, just try and sh- shove it up their butt and improve everybody wrong and and uh i mean guys through the minors you know a lot of guys come through the minors and you know for one reason or another you know some make it to the majors some just kind of can't keep going um to kind of keep that mindset throughout you know you made it to the majors in the end but you know was that like prove them wrong attitude you know did you keep that through the minors and kind of throughout your career yeah to an extent um yeah it's baseball's a fickle game Cause it's, it's like, Oh, you're not good enough to go to double a. Okay. I do get to double a. Now you're not good enough to go triple a. I finally get there. And then I get, finally get to the big leagues, but there's always the next level. Now it's okay. I want to stay in the big leagues so long, or I want to get so many years of service time. So I get my pension. There's always that next level of drive to try and get to. And one of my downfalls is I was always my worst enemy. Like I was so hard on myself because I expected so much. I expected that I should be an everyday starter in the big leagues. I should hit 30 home runs in the big leagues. And still to this day, I do believe I would have had, had things gone differently, but um, you know, I'm very grateful for my time. I was, you know, amongst some of the best athletes to ever play this game uh, with those seven, Oh eight, that little run of Red Sox teams, um, incredible personnel on those teams. And I was more than fortunate and, um, ecstatic to be a part of that. Um, but yeah, you always want to try and level up. And still to this day, I, I really think that I should have been, I should have played longer. I should have made more money. I should have, you know, done a lot more things, but um, and it, every now and then I still get, let it get to me. But I think for the most part, I've kind of come to peace with, with how my career panned out. 
Well, I mean, hey, in 2008, the Red Sox had an incredible roster. And for you to break through and make your major league debut on that team is is something that many people can't say. So, yeah. I mean, you deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, how was it making your major league debut? It was at Camden Yards, correct? It was at Camden. Um, and I don't know if you can see behind me. I know it's blurry, but um, this is actually the lineup card from my first game. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. So if you, you talk about great players, let me run this down. Ellsbury, Pedroia, Ortiz, Ramirez, Mike Lowell, Kevin Euclid, Jason Veritek, Alex Cora, and then me at the bottom. <laughs> so, I mean, like you go figure. That's and then that's you got JD Drew, Sean Casey, Coco Chris, Lugo, Kevin Cash. I mean, it's just an incredibly stacked team. And it was just seeing this is is humbling in itself. This is amazing. This is incredible. Just to see the quality of players that I mean, Hall of Famers are on that list. And then you got my little butt down here at the bottom. It's, is that bat from um your debut too, or it is. So this is, I didn't get my first hit with it, but when I got my first hit, there was one guy sent on the top step with his arms outstretched and gave me a big bear hug. And it was Sean Casey, arguably the nicest guy. No, not arguably, but he is by far and away the nicest guy I have ever met in my life. And I'm, he was so nice to the point where I thought he was like slapping a kick me in the butt sticker <laughs> on my back. Like, what's the joke? Why, why are you so nice? But he's uh, he's genuinely an incredible, incredible human being. So when you yeah. finally got got out there for that first game, I know you had spent six or seven years in the minors, correct? Up until that point, seven, yeah, seven. So was that like a really like I made it moment? Like you had mentioned, you know, you were people were doubting you. How that? I mean, that must have just felt amazing. Yeah, it was it was it was incredible. I you know I was in Pawtucket at the time. We were playing in Buffalo, which ironically, I was on Buffalo's team the year before. So we were in Buffalo playing them, and that's when I got called. I knew there were some injuries and stuff going on at the big league level. And um, phone rings at you know seven a.m. and it's R.J. Ron Johnson. God rest his soul. Um, he just passed away from COVID, unfortunately. Probably my most thrilled manager. I loved having him. I got spoiled with managers between him and a couple more, but uh, I knew as soon as the phone rang that, that I was going to go up and it was just, it was just, it's a surreal feeling and it still didn't feel real until I actually walked out onto the field and I'm in a Red Sox uniform and I see all, all the other guys stretching. I'm like, wow, this is really happening. Um, but it was, it was one of those snippets, you know, you hold in time forever and you'll just, you'll never forget. It was definitely a special moment. Very cool. Very cool. So, you know, the lineup, you mentioned a bunch of those names, you know, guys that, you know, will be in the hall of fame someday. David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, one of the greatest right-handed hitters we've ever seen. You know, those guys that you shared a field with, do you have any anecdotes, you know, do you ever talk to those guys about, you know, anything like, you know, just share, even just sharing a field with them, you know, what, what does that feel like? Uh, well, yeah, I didn't really talk a whole lot with, you know, Manny's one of a kind. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Red Sox locker room, but you have the locker room. Then Manny had his own little locker room in the back where the press couldn't get to him. And he's he's a very interesting bird, um, but he's a super nice guy. But you can tell, you know, the wheels are turning a little bit faster. But that's what makes him great. That's, you know, all the, all the, the people that are, by far and away exceptional at what they do, whether it's baseball or music or football, or, you know, they, they have a tendency to not, you can't carry on the same conversations with 
the general population than you can with these guys. They, they're thinking 10 steps ahead. So, and he was one of those guys. And, um, but he was always friendly in passing. Um, Ortiz, again, super friendly in passing. I never really interacted with him a whole lot. He had a lot more other stuff going on. Um, but I will say his favorite um, song in the locker room was always by Bon Jovi, played it every game. And he never could remember anybody's name. So the club, he would write everybody's, all the players' names under the bill of his cap so he could remember everybody's name. <laughs> There's a famous story where he didn't know Pedroia's name for, yeah. like, what, the first five seasons they played together? No, yeah. 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 I'm surprised he remembered it in five seasons, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way he remembers who I am, which is perfectly fine. But, um, yeah, it's just – they they just – they think three steps ahead. There's so many – the wheels are turning a lot faster while I was just trying to pump the brakes and take in everything that was going on. They had been there so long and they're, they're just so far ahead of the game. It was, it was impressive to be a part of. Is there a teammate who you were like still closest with, um, you know, these days who you still talk with and uh, you know, keep communications with? I would, I would say some of my teammates that I was close with were mostly at the minor league level not taking anything away from the, the big league guys. I just, I didn't spend that much time with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, and because I was with Cleveland for seven years, you get some of those guys that kind of follow the same path that you do and you kind of mend and form those bonds. And um, a couple of, I would say Matt Knox is probably number one. I know you guys have never heard of him, but he was a minor league guy in Cleveland's organization for a number of years. Good player. Uh, I think he got to double a uh, with Cleveland and then finally fizzled out. But, Baseball's, it's a, it's almost like a fraternity, you know. I don't know any of you guys ever in a fraternity of college. We're, we're actually all in the same one. Tell we met. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so just imagine, you know, ten years down the road, all those guys are in your fraternity. I know you guys will probably speak to each other, but some other folks that are in that fraternity that live on the other side of the world, you're probably never going to talk to them again. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the way baseball is. Once you're out of that little network it's very tough to break that barrier and get back in. Um, and in Mississippi, there's not a whole lot of big league guys. So you just, you kind of lose that bond. Um, so it's, I really haven't reached out to a whole lot of folks in, in Boston or anywhere else. Um, and I'm not saying that's out of spite or being mean or anything. It's just, you know, the distance and, and this day and age, you know, you got so much going on with your own life. It's tough to keep those bonds going, those connections. I still have everybody's phone number in my phone, but I don't know whether they're good or not. Yeah, we can, you want, we can call somebody real quick and see if they pick up. Sure. Yeah. Call Mike Lowell. <laughs> yeah, sure. Like, who the heck is this dude? <laughs> uh, but no, they, those guys are super great. Um, you know, you text some, and that was back in the day when texting was still fairly new to me in 08, 07, 08. But, um, no, on the field, off the field, those guys, they treat you like family. Um, but, you know, they each have their own family as well off the field. So once you lose the bond, the, the connection of baseball, everybody kind of goes their separate way. Mm-hmm. And I was no different. Yeah. Um, curious about – I know that baseball players, we all know, are some of the most uh, – Creatures of habit, there are people that are superstitious. Did you have any pregame rituals that you had to go through before you stepped on the field? 
yeah, don't strike out. Don't strike out. <laughs> no. uh, I wouldn't say, I mean, I was, I wouldn't say I was a stickler for creature habit. I mean, if I had a bat that I was doing well with, I'm going to keep using the bat till it breaks. You know, if I had, um, you know, a glove that I liked, I was going to use it until it broke. I was, I kind of stuck with the same things over and over, but as far as like eating the same meal or I, don't, I didn't take it to the next level. Like some of these guys are, you know, they'll only eat X, the certain thing on one day or, or do something a certain, a different day. I, I wasn't like that. I mean, I just, I tried to keep my mind in the moment and do the best I could at the, with the job at hand and take advantage of any opportunity I possibly could. Um, that's what a 29th rounder has to do. You got to outplay everybody. So I didn't really worry too much with superstition other than just trying to keep my head in the game and, and focus on trying to get better every single day. Of course. Absolutely. So in 2008, you hit your first career home run against, I know you never made it to the Indians, but against the Indians and you know, you were in your organization. How mm -hmm. was that feeling? Was that, I mean, was there any spite against the Indians or? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There was spite 100%. It was 09 actually. Get oh, okay. <laughs> My bad. My bad. You got me there. So yeah, it was, uh, that was probably, that was a defining moment in my career. Uh, it was, you know, we were late in the game. Uh, I actually got the start because I don't know, J.D. Drew must have pulled a grow, and I don't know if he was sick or I was a late, he was a late scratch and they put me in uh, at the last second right before the game. But uh, yeah, I remember coming to play at that moment. I was facing Jensen Lewis. Uh, shockingly, I hope Jensen's not listening to this or ever will, but I faced Jensen Lewis four times in my career. I walked once and I hit three home runs and that was one of them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I had his number for whatever reason. I had his number. He had a much better career than I did, but for whatever reason at the minor league level and at the big league level, I got the best of him every mm -hmm. single time, but I kind of, I knew exactly what pitch was coming. I knew how he attacked me in the past. He hung a change up two one and I drilled it over center field and, you know, a lot of emotions came out, um, of me after that game because uh, you, when you get buried in a system for seven years it's just it's tough it's frustrating and you never got an opportunity to showcase your talents on the biggest stage and I'll give you a quote I'm, I'm just going to throw dirt on everybody so here we go 2007 in spring training with Cleveland and they're sending me back to double A for the third year in a row and the first year I hit I was second league in home runs all-star hit 27 home runs, struck out a lot too, but hit a lot of home runs. Uh, the second year did well, got up to triple a, um, third time back at double a, I'm going back as a backup. I'm not even going to play. And so I marched back in to the farm director's office. I'm not going to tell you who it was. You can look that up. Um, and it's like, dude, what's going on? You're sending me back to double a for the second or for the third year in a row. You're basically telling me you don't have a place for me to play. If that's the case, let me go somewhere else and give me an opportunity to chase my dream somewhere else. Here's a direct quote. Mind you, I'm like, this is at the end of spring training. Allergies are real bad. I can barely talk. My nose is so stopped up. It's running out my mouth. If you can get the visual of what's going on. Here I am talking to the farm director, trying to tell him to go where the sun doesn't shine. I'm like, look, dude, you know, if you don't give me, a, a, if you don't have a spot for him, let me go. And he says, you know, if we release you, direct quote, if we release you and you go to the big leagues with, say, Tampa Bay, 
how does that make us look? And I just wanted to reach over that desk and punch him in the mouth. I'm like, this is my career. This is what I've worked so hard for my entire life. And you're going to hold that against me for some political motivation. You're worried about how you look with other people. So I took that as a chip on my shoulder the rest of the year. I get about two years, uh, two months in, I'm leading the league in hitting. And I'm just having the most unbelievable season. I'm just still playing out of my mind. I don't know how I'm hitting that well. I'm going to be an all-star. Um, and they end up putting me on the Phantom DL. I know you guys ever heard of the Phantom DL? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. So they put me on the Phantom. And, you know, that I can't play. I'm not hurt. But yeah. I can't play. I'm leading the league in hitting, mind you. And they put me on the phantom. What uh what injury did they give you? Calf strain. <laughs> so is it true that a lot of guys in the majors, you know, maybe they have a few bad games and they go on the DL? Is that that's a thing? I wouldn't say at the big league level, there's too much money involved. But okay. at the minor league level for sure. Big league level, like I was a guy I, I actually played hurt in the big leagues, and I probably shouldn't have, I should have gone on the DL, but you know, for a minor league guy to get called up and immediately hurt, that's more than frowned upon because he you can't send a guy down out of the big leagues when he's on the DL. He's getting big league money the whole time until he recovers enough to where he can play at that level. Then they send him down gotcha. um, per the collective bargaining agreement. So, but yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it was uh, it was just a surreal moment. And then I took a chip on my shoulder. Um, ended up having a great year, hit over 300 for the whole year, never did that the rest of my career. And then at the end of the year, got, got picked up by Boston. So pretty, uh, pretty incredible season that year. I was worried that Cleveland was going to put me on their 40 man. Um, and I didn't want to be, and they didn't. And so I became an outright free agent and had the ability to sign with whoever I wanted to, which was a bit, uh, it was a bit nerve wracking because at the end of the year I had a, pretty bad knee injury, had season-ending surgery about a month before the season ended. And I'm like, oh, God, here I am. I'm already free agent. Is anybody going to pick me up? I'm hurt. First day of free agency, I get 15 phone calls from teams. Wow. But I was like, okay, this is this is probably going to work out. Mm-hmm. So I, I had uh, – fortunately, I had the ability to kind of pick the avenue that I wanted to go. Um, 6.30 a.m., first phone call I get was Billy Bean with the A's first day and that kind of set off the chain reaction of mm-hmm. oh well billy's interested in this guy we all should probably be too and everybody, you know i had 15 16 teams after me the first day it was it's very humbling well, gotta ask I know, that's awesome i was used to go down the path that you chose yeah yeah absolutely i mean it it seems like you know an older guy trying to get to the big leagues wouldn't sign with a team that just won the world series, but that's exactly what happened. Um, but I knew, you know, John Farrell was, had been the farm director for a while in Cleveland when I was there, he was familiar with me. I knew a lot of the guys in the front office. Um, and it just, it seemed like a good fit. It was an easy transition for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a month later I'm in the big leagues. So I, it all worked out. Yeah. I wish I would have stayed longer, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate. Fortunate in that scenario, I actually got up to be a part of such a such a great team. Very cool. Very cool. So you mentioned, you know, your first home run. Um, obviously, that's a huge, huge thing. First at bat, everything like that. But outside of those, do you have another, you know, favorite memory? Something that stuck out? Um, you know, either if it was, you know, another home run or just a game or, you know, something else. Something else that just kind of stuck out and was for your career. I would say. 
biggest thing that stuck out to me, part of the process of me getting called up, it was my first time up ever, obviously, but the Red Sox flew up, both my parents and my brother, put them in a hotel, gave them tickets to the game, all on the Red Sox dime. And that was, that was a very, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know how many organizations actually do that. That was, that was special. Um, the second memory that I have, most of my memories are not playing because I get a bit sentimental. My parents are getting up there. You guys will experience this too later in life. And uh, they don't have many more years left. So you kind of rekindle a lot of the memories you have with them. But my dad grew up a huge Yankees fan, huge Yankee fan. And the first time he goes to the new Yankee Stadium in 09, he sees his son out there on the field in a Red Sox uniform. <laughs> that was a bit of irony. But um, it was uh, it was just such a surreal, surreal environment to look around in Yankee Stadium, see all the big bright lights in New York and then see my little old Mississippi dad up there in the up there in the stands. It's, it's pretty cool. But um, yeah, I uh, and just all the travel is just amazing in the big leagues. You go from riding buses, eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and minor leagues to the luxury lavish of luxury life in the big leagues it's it's a night and day difference it's unbelievable uh, so you mentioned the yankees a little bit and uh you played against the yankees once fun fact um and you actually struck out brad gardner so yes i did he tried to walk it served him right he shouldn't draw a walk off a position player you gotta go I, out there yeah get up there hacking Hey, yeah, swing the bat, man. Don't try and get a walk. But it's funny, you know, I, I, they brought me in for the night. We're getting our brains beat out. It's like Sunday day game or Saturday day game on Fox. And they bring me in for the night. I was like, okay, who's coming up? They say, Cheater, Teixeira, and A-Rod. Um, like, our starters can't get these guys out. How do you expect me to fare? But, um, but yeah, Cheater hit one. It's only the first pitch of one off the wall, off the monster, got a double. Uh, I think Teixeira was next. He hit one into orbit that still probably hadn't landed yet and he hit three home runs that game so and they won the world series that year so every time leading up to the world series they're playing like to share his highlight his three home run game and i'm always on it giving up the one that goes over the light tower um but uh and then i get i get cano to ground out he was the mvp that year um struck out gardner and then uh, A-Rod, some kid making his major league debut, they pinch hit for him. He swung at the first pitch and flew out. So, um, two runs of damage, not too bad. Um, didn't get hurt. Kind of wish I did. I'll go on the DL, made more money. But <laughs> hey, not bad uh, at all. And yeah. that was that was actually the second time you'd pitched in a game, correct? How was uh, the year before you'd pitched against the Rays? How did that come to be? I mean, you had said you'd pitched at Ole Miss, but um, you know, did. Francona approach you and was just like, "Hey, you're going in," or is that something you guys talk about beforehand? Yeah, I mean, we're 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 kind of running thin in, in those situations. I mean, you're getting your brains beat out. We don't want to. In that situation, Tampa they actually used up all their pitchers because they they just, we didn't have anybody left. And like poor Javi Lopez is out there trying to you know go four innings to get through the game, and then, and then so they finally stick me in for the last. Or I guess it was the bottom of the eighth. And they, I was playing right, so Javi goes out to right, and they bring me in to pitch. Well, there's a guy on second base, all right? So that's Javi's run at second. And I, I think it was Angel Hernandez was the catcher for Tampa at the time, or one of them. 
he hits a ball to right center. So now Javi is trying to chase down his own run in the outfield. He takes the worst angle ever. <laughs> he takes like a 90-degree angle and just does not even come close. He was trying to save his own run. But, um, yeah, that was, that was kind of funny. But he didn't give me too much crap over it. But I ended up getting out of the situation. One run, no, not too much damage. Just get out of it. Don't waste any more players. You know, get in, get done, get out of there, and move on to the next mm-hmm. day. Yeah, so, for, for two relief appearances, you're doing pretty well. Not yeah. bad. Not bad. I mean, my ERA is through the roof, but, you know, they didn't have to come pull me and put somebody else in. Well, so that's, exactly. That's a little bit of a benefit. Exactly. <laughs> did you did you get to take a look at the uh, speedometer, see how fast you were throwing that game? Uh, I was probably I was probably throwing a very heavy 78 with some run. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Because uh, we have Not a little good. bit going on. Yeah, so Steve has a bet with me and Andrew that – uh, me and Andrew think that at some point, if we train hard enough, we can throw 90 miles an hour. In our lifetime. Um, in our lifetime. <laughs> yeah, look at him. Yeah, I was throwing 90 in, in, in uh, JUCO in high school. I was I was about 87 to 90, somewhere in there. But you know, I used to have a really good arm from the outfield. But as I got older, you know, body just falls apart. You guys will figure that out soon. Exactly. Once you get in your late 20s, just stuff doesn't start working like it used to. Yeah, me and Andrew are still 19, 20 years old. We we got plenty of time. Yeah, we'll figure yeah. it out. Yeah. I don't know about 90. I don't but, think yeah. they're even going to touch 80, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we'll see. It's all good fun. Um, I actually wanted – I actually have a funny story for you. So, your second career home run was actually at uh, Camden Yards. Uh, mm-hmm. That was actually the first Red Sox game I ever went to. <laughs> and I remember watching you hit that ball out to center field. I was just like, this is awesome. Um, I remember Ortiz hit two home runs that game. Uh, Dice K pitched. Uh, what other memories do you have from you know that game or you know any other games in 2010? Yeah, that that was a launching pad that day. Camden, the wind was blowing out. Beautiful day, and there was I don't know whether like 13 home runs I think between both teams somewhere. Yeah, it was a slugfest. Um, I think I actually got jammed a little and still managed to get it out. That was how hard the wind was blowing mm-hmm. out. Yeah, I was uh, sitting out in uh, in left field, and I remember it was it was a breezy night. Yeah, yeah. It's I'll back up, but probably uh, aside from like the aura of me making my big league debut, um, that was the game. My first game was the day. I don't know if you guys remember when Manny high five the fan in the crowd. You guys yeah. were probably like, oh yeah six or seven years old, and that's a long time ago. <laughs> but Manny goes back. Kevin Millar hits a ball to deep left center. Manny goes back. He catches it. Then he – I thought he went after somebody in the crowd because these guys are heckling him the whole time. But as you look at the replay, he finds the one Red Sox fan, tries to high-five him, throws the ball back into Pedroia and doubles off whoever the runner was coming from first. Everybody was just like in awe. Like, what just happened? Um, so that was kind of a surreal moment. I actually have, you can't see it, but I have a, a picture framed with me and Manny, like clicking gloves after he made that catch and threw it in. Um, so that was kind of, that was kind of crazy. It's awesome. Manny being Manny. That's it. Manny being Manny. One of a kind. Have you seen the video of the guy in Australia not recognizing Manny with the, the guy who's wearing a Red Sox hat? And Manny went up to him to try and be like, hey, like, it's me. You're it's me. I'm Manny. No, I yeah. haven't. I haven't. I, no, yeah, the guy had no idea who he was. He was like, <laughs> you can't be alone, please. Well, you're going to run into more of that as the 
you know, a younger generation comes along, you know, they don't really remember the old old players too much. And that's just that's the nature of getting old, unfortunately. Yeah, if you win a Red Sox hat, though, you, you got to recommend no history. Yeah. You got to know, man. Red Sox fans are, are very historic. Now, I mean, if they, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. I, don't, I have no excuse for that guy. He should know who Manny Ramirez is. Absolutely. There's no yeah, excuse. He's arguably the I best player it, it did happen uh, twice. It was another guy, too. There was two of them that didn't recognize him. That's that's insane. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. they were in Australia, though, so – that they don't even know what baseball is over there. They're not real Red Sox fans, then. Yeah, so they don't know who. Major I think they is. they wear the the B hat is more of like a fashion statement. Not yeah, it probably like, is. It's cool. Yeah. It's like having an iPhone. I'm cool because I have an iPhone. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, in 2010, you get released from the Red Sox and go to the Pirates, and then the following year, you get uh, was it? It was. Yeah, traded back to the Red Sox and then traded back to the Pirates. How was that whole journey? You know, you go back and forth between the two teams twice. Was that just a, a whole whirlwind? Yes, extremely. So, and oh, I'll correct your figures a little bit. Oh nine, Red Sox outright release me. They didn't designate for designate me for assignment. They didn't option me. They straight outright release me. I had a season-ending knee injury in like June. They needed the roster spots. They just said, screw it. We're getting rid of this guy. It was a business decision. It was mm-hmm. tough on me because I'm hurt and they get rid of me. Now I have no team. Um, but I do remember Frank Kona calling me after that all went down. I was like, hey, I'm really sorry about how this went down. I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. And I know it took a lot for him to do that. And I, he's still one of my favorite managers ever. Um, but, but, yeah, so I, the next year I start the season in AAA with Pittsburgh and Indianapolis doing well. Uh, Cle- uh, Boston has a number of injuries. Guys go down. I think Mike Cameron went down. Um, Ellsbury, I think, went down. They had a couple guys all go down at once, and so they're looking for a quick fix. So I get traded to Boston. I think it was like early May or something for a player to be named later. Go up there, do my thing, um, play for a month, and then. Uh, Everybody starts healing up. They all get better. So initially I was traded for a player to be named later. A month later, I was the player to be named to go back to Pittsburgh. How about that? So did you get traded for yourself? I got traded for myself. You got I did. Were you the only one in Major League history to have done that? I think there's two. I think there's two guys in history, and I probably one of them. They Correct me if I'm wrong. You'll have to go back and look at the books, but they might have thrown in a minor league, like a a ball catcher or something, to make it not look so bad. Yeah. But in essence, I was on loan for a month until everybody got healthy. Then they were going to send me back. Interesting. So really, I, I was traded for myself. That's <laughs> Just kind of cool. Hey, All yeah, right. it's an interesting piece of trivia for sure. Yeah, that one's that one's. I'm gonna get that one right in the bar in a couple of years. And nobody else will. <laughs> and then uh, in t- in 2011, you signed with the Nationals, right? And then you go you go to spring training with them. I did. I uh, went to camp with them. Um, Bryce's locker was right next to mine. Another thing, it was the second big league camp, um, and you could see just he was so much more talented than anybody else. Obviously, he's shown that over the last ten years or so, but. Uh, incredible athlete, incredible player. I mean, he was still trying to like figure it all out about, you know, do I listen to all these coaches? They're filling my head with all this stuff. Do I, my girlfriend's bothering me. Do I go fly out and see her? Just, you know, just all the little questions of, he was about y'all's age. 
but he's in big league camp. Crazy. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in a big league camp right now? No way. At your age? No. Yeah, it's crazy. So he's going through, he's trying to, he's growing up so fast and going through all these, you know, big adult decisions all at once. Um, and I, he was my throwing partner every day. So we got to play catch and got to know him a little bit. You know, just tried to sprinkle little bits of uh, uh, help in his ear and advice. And looks like he took it to heart. He had a pretty good career so far, huh? Yeah, so far. He's so okay. Good. Yeah. And a big contract. <laughs> I, like, I like to think I had something to do with it, but I probably didn't. He's just, he's just that good. Uh, but yeah, he's a heck of a player, and uh, you know he's a good teammate. I can't vouch for him down the road uh, later in life, but um, every day he would get. Usually, when you're in big league camp, a guy like me, I would get maybe one piece of fan mail. Manny Ramirez would probably get a shoebox full of letters and stuff to sign. Bryce would get probably a four by four foot box every day of stuff to sign it was insane helmets bats gloves cards pictures you name it it was it was incredible but under armor had just inked into a huge deal i think they actually inked his parents to some kind of deal too at the same time so it was it was uh it was quite impressive to see all that stuff it always clogged up my locker and i wanted to get it the heck out of there because i wanted to get on the field go hit oh yeah right it was was kind of he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 16, right? If I do recall, like the kid, yeah. the guy was a phenomenon for a while. Oh yeah, it's just it's God-given talent. That's all you can say. God-given talent. God yeah. touched him when he was a baby and said, "Son, you're going to be a hell of a baseball player." And he's been a hell of a baseball player. He sure yeah. has. I've uh, I've an interesting stat for you actually. Um, so in 2008, you had five um, RBIs and uh, two of the guys you drove in. Uh, Alex Cora and Kevin Cash, two managers now in the AL East. So I kind of want to transition it to who was the favorite manager that you've played with. And then uh, maybe if you could speak on Terry Francona a little bit, uh, what kind of impact he had on you? So in that play, those two guys are managers in the AL East. Why, why am I a manager in the AL East? I want to be a manager in the AL East. Right? Hey, just the Orioles, Orioles can certainly use a little help. I'll put it that yeah, way. Yeah. Um, yeah, both are incredible guys. Um, they've had, you know, heck of playing careers and, and obviously great managerial careers as well. Um, for myself, I was, like I said earlier, mentioned, I was spoiled, rotten with managers. Coming up through Cleveland, um, my predominantly my manager was Tori Lovello. So he's out in Arizona now. He was with Red, uh, Boston for a couple of years, bench coach, and uh, as a AAA manager, but uh, class act. Couldn't, couldn't ask for a better guy. Genuinely loved you to death. Would do anything for you, give his shirt off his back, and really genuinely wanted you to succeed. Um, second, I'd say um, I'd put Francona as probably my second favorite. Just I didn't have that much time with Terry Tito, but since I had so much time with Tori, I mean, it was just we had an incredible bond, incredible relationship. But Tito's right there, same, same temperament. He was always the guy to go. Don't you remember back when Papelbaum was pitching? He had a bad game or something bad happened. He would never go talk to the media. It was always Tito going mm-hmm. in to talk to the media. No matter how good or bad it was, he's out there vouching for his team, telling them we're sticking together, trying to pepper everybody up, and we're all in this thing 
as one unit, as one cohesive unit. Mm -hmm. Anytime stuff started to go off the rails, I mean, you immediately knew this guy's got my back. He's going to fight for me and he's not going to throw anybody under the bus in the media. And that's one of the things that Tito's done better than probably anybody is deal with the media. And as you, as you guys know, Boston has an incredibly harsh media. Um, they're right. They're cheering you on when you're doing good, but they're racking you when you're doing bad. Uh, just for instance, like in Cleveland, uh, Jake was feel like after a game, you'd have four or five media in the clubhouse. Austin, you got 50. And they're just all sitting in the middle, like looking around. Mm-hmm. Like, what can we hear? What's going on? Can we find some little side story to write stuff about? And that's probably where like the chicken and beer fiasco came out a couple yeah. of years ago. It's just <laughs> a bunch of stupid media sitting in the middle of the locker room and they tried to overhear something and they decided to write an article about it, you know, getting a couple of people fired for it. But no, Tito was great and his door was always open. Same thing with Tori and they would do anything for you. Um, and third, I'd say probably Ron Johnson, RJ, a recipes. But um, yeah, that guy, no matter how bad a day you had, if you were over four or four strikeouts, you look at that guy and he's just going to put a smile on your face. He's always happy, go lucky. And I mean, he wants to work hard and get better, but at the same time, he's, he's not going to waste any time being sad and upset. He's always just going to be a cheerful guy, ready to go back and get the next one. So mm-hmm. um, I was kind of spoiled rotten in the managerial category. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool little perspective, you know, growing up, like for us, Tito was kind of our manager as a kid and I love Tito. Like yeah. he, He's, he's, kind he's of like God. Best. He's really like God to a Red Sox fan. Yeah, yeah. Especially like, when you were this guy player. holds all the keys. Yeah, yeah. I was shocked when he got fired in 2011 because I mean, you know, Grady Little was the manager at the beginning of my life, but I wasn't a fan at that point. And then it was just it was just Tito. That's all you knew. And then yeah. when he gets fired, yeah. you're like, holy crap! Like he's not he's not like above everybody else. Yeah, and that's just the – I think the media played more into that than anything mm-hmm. else. Yeah. And unfortunately, in big market places like New York, Boston, L.A., I mean, the media can write whatever they want. Yep. You know, and they, and they have a following and people entrust them, whether they're telling the truth or they're not. And a lot of times that plays into decisions. And Tito may have been fed up with Boston too. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure he got tired of dealing with all the stuff that he had to deal with on a daily basis because the media is just – it's it's nerve edge. It wears you out. It eats at you every I, single day. Yeah, I mean, it's like Cleveland. There's no media. You don't have to worry about that. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, and you've even go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, even you see that with a guy like David Price. Uh, I, I can't remember what year it was. It was a couple of years ago where you know him and Dennis Eckersley. There was some you know feud there, and you know Eckersley or Price. I can't remember which one. Were like, hey, like we're fine. Like the media kind of you know just kind of build, builds it yeah. up exactly, and then next thing you know, Price. Price wins his World Series, but then he's like, you know, it's been four years. It's time to move on. Yeah, yeah. Like, why would a broadcaster – I'm assuming Eck was in the broadcast booth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah what, why would a player care what the broadcaster says yeah. or vice versa? Like, who cares? Exactly. Like, Eckersley's a Hall of Fame closer. Price is arguably one of the best pitchers in the game at the time. Why would they even remotely possibly have a few? That makes that makes no sense to me. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, again, the media can blow anything out of proportion mm-hmm. if they want to. Uh, media is brutal. So moving on from your uh, playing days, uh, are you still at Holy Cross? You, I know that you were a director of, what is it, baseball operations uh, yeah. at Holy Cross. Are you still working yeah. with them? Or? 
Yeah, if, if Ed needs me to do anything, I'll be happy to. But, I mean, most of the time, all the baseball ops stuff gets done by the head coach in a smaller school like that. But I'm more of an advocate. It's not a paid position. Um, I'm more of just like a cheerleader. If they need a pep talk, I'm going to try and pep them up. But, you, um, you spend much time down, or I guess up for you in Worcester, you know, talking to the guys, being around the team, or are you kind of more hands-off and virtual? Yeah, it's hands-off virtual for the most part. I was uh, – two about a year and a half ago october of 19 before all the covid mess hit and got to spend a good long weekend with the boys and great experience Desenzo is kind of my connection to holy cross uh, greg Desenzo, he's since moved on it's funny he brought me on board and then like three months later he decides i want to go coach you know pro ball so he jumps to pro ball and uh, after bringing me to Holy Cross, but he's he's finally getting a chance to manage this year. Looks like the minor league season's gonna take place as planned. But um, yeah, great school, great facilities, a lot of upstanding guys, and it, they've done an immaculate job considering they have no scholarships. And it's yeah. mm-hmm. Lord knows how it's what I don't even know how much money it costs to go there. I mean, I, I would have to go in the lottery to even be considered <laughs> to apply. Yeah. It is ridiculous my girlfriend goes there and i've been down I've, I've seen a football game down there and um my grandfather and uncle also went there so you know i, I have a little bit of holy cross in me but yeah um, yeah you know it's it's big in worcester you know holy cross sports. of course so even, mm-hmm. even holy cross baseball it's you know just cool place to be if you're in worcester people love it um, yeah the worcester fans are ridiculously passionate um, oh yeah yeah ruthless yeah ruthless. yeah uh, but that football field is like I swear somebody gets out there and cuts it with scissors. It is, it's, it's better than any pro field I've ever seen. It is uh, unbelievable. It's pretty cool in there. But then they let people park on the baseball field. Explain yep. that. Yeah, that they, no they, they tailgate on the baseball field. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's still a nice field. But it's amazing mm-hmm. how well it holds up after people park on it all fall. Yeah. To uh, pivot in a slightly different direction real quick. Uh, do you still keep up with the MLB today? Is there, are there any players that currently are in the league that you like watching? Uh, the short answer is no. I can count on one hand how many baseball games I've watched since I got done, and it's not many. Probably the 2016 World Series takes up most of those games because mm-hmm. that was an exciting World Series with the Cubs and the Indians. I knew a lot of guys on the Indians um, – and I knew a lot of the guys that were from Boston and managed to go over to Chicago at the time. But no, I don't, I don't really follow baseball that much, man. Tons of respect for it. Love the game. Always will love the game. Um, but, you know, we've I've kind of transitioned into like everybody else in the world, like an on-demand lifestyle and baseball's it's a slower game. Let's just face it. It is. And, um, I've kind of gotten in now. I'm in Nashville. I've jumped on the Predator bandwagon, so I'm a oh, yeah. hockey fan yeah. for some reason. Yeah. Trying to figure uh, that out. I love hockey. I'd love to catch a game down there in Nashville. Oh, it's exciting, dude! It's it's whenever the, when all this fire mess gets by, you you guys ought to come down. It's let them come play the Bruins down here. It's exciting. <laughs> oh, we we would love that. I've uh, got some great chance. We I know quickly we talked about uh, this right before we started recording, um, but I wanted to ask you more about it. What uh what do you think the chances are that Nashville ends up getting a major league team? I want it for the city. I would say it's, and I don't know. I'd say I can't. It's hard for me to put a percentage on it, 
because I know some people that are involved in this decision-making process and they want to see it go through. And I think it'd be great for the town, but uh, I just, I don't know if the, if they really have the population to withstand it yet. I mean, Nashville's a transient city right now. Most of the people that live in Nashville aren't from Nashville. They're from LA or they're from New York or they're from Boston or Chicago. You got all these people moving in. They still have their loyalties to different teams where they came from. Mm -hmm. So that's a hard bond to break. And I don't know. I mean, I think they would do, it's hard to say. They just built a brand new AAA stadium five years ago, but it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I just don't see how you would ask, unless it's a privately funded stadium, I don't see how you ask the public for more money for another stadium when they just funded this AAA stadium. And you just get a soccer team. You got the Predators. You got, obviously, you have the Titans. But I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a four-sport town yet. And it might be in the future. But I just – I think it's a tough, tough position to to get a team to come here. Yeah. I don't know where you put a stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully in the future, maybe even a, you know, a team, a team moves there. I don't know, maybe like Tampa or something like that. Yeah. Um, I would think a team would move instead of being an an expansion. expansion. I just don't see baseball expanding much right now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they have kind of that market, like a lot of like the NBA or NHL does. Um, Right. Speaking of AAA, we got one final question for you and then we'll let you go. Um, So, you know, working at Holy Cross uh, and playing for the Paw Sox, you've, you know, you've got a kind of a history there in New England. How do you feel about the Paw Sox moving to Worcester, uh, becoming the Woo Sox? The Woo Sox. I wish, well, I like Pawtucket. You know, it was, it was a fun little place. It's definitely a right-handed hitter's paradise. I mean, left-handed hitter's paradise. Wind blows out to right field pretty hard every day, but I think it's going to be great. I mean, I didn't know Worcester is the biggest city in second biggest city in New England, right? It's is yeah, that, I think yeah, behind Boston. Yeah, I think so. Yep. Yeah, I think it is. I had no idea. I had never even ventured to Worcester except for a knee surgery. And I always thought it was Worcester. I couldn't even <laughs> say it right. You know, down here, I actually have pool projects on a street spelled exactly the same thing, but it's Worcester. It's not Worcester. It took me forever to figure out where's this Worcester. I don't see a OO. There's no W O O S T E R. Where's Worcester? What is Worcester? But um, no, I think it, it's got a great downtown area. Uh, I saw some snippets of the park being built. Stadium looks immaculate, incredible. And I, it's, it's just going to drive attendance up. I think it's going to be great for the area. Um, Pawtucket's got a lot of history, but uh, I think, you know, being, being right, you know, everything's kind of trending to a more uh, populated area where there's shops and dining and you, know, you walk across the street, go to a state, go to a game, kind of like here in Nashville. It's right in the middle of the bar scene in Germantown area. And I think it's going to do really well. Yeah. Uh, we, um, we actually just talked to a, a Woo Sox executive. Um, so he was telling us a little bit about, you know, move to Worcester, everything like that. And, you know, where the stadium is, I don't know how familiar you are with Worcester, but it's going to kind of be in, you know, the heart of where all the colleges are, all the bars, oh, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. um, you know, they're talking about how it's going to be right off the highway. People just get right off the highway, college kids coming from everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. people pouring in and out of bars and stuff. So it oh, seems yeah. like it's a good move, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think geographically it's a great fit because you know, the bars are going to see an uptick. The restaurants are going to see an uptick and in the stadium will too. I mean, you can go, 
you know, go do a happy hour after work after five o'clock and then go straight to the game, you know, and you leave your car in the same spot. You mm-hmm. just walk. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of, you starting to see that trend a little more in, in society around the country. You're trying to get out of the car and being more, having a more walkable environment. I think that's something that they probably put a lot of thought into. It looks like they're doing a good job of creating that. Yeah, no, it's certainly going to be a great time. We're uh, super excited for it. Um, before we let you go, do you have like any closing thoughts, anything else you, you want to say? Man, I, thanks for having me. I feel honored. Like first player, like I was thinking you guys were digging at the bottom of the barrel with, with, the, with the 25th guy on the roster, but I feel, feel honored. I'm glad no, you guys no. had me. No, no yeah, worries at all. The first people we asked. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you guys want any more insights into – you know, the big leagues or how baseball works or, you know, feel free to give me a shower. I'm sure there's a lot more that I skipped over, but I tend to ramble from time to time. I try and cover all the, the main points, but yeah. Yeah. We'd love to, we'd love to have you back on, uh, you know, maybe later this year or something we could, we could yeah, figure something sure. out. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for hopping on. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch soon. Okay. All right. Take awesome. care guys. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jonathan Van Every, for hopping on the show with us today. We really hope you guys enjoyed that. It's a great interview, great guy, as we said before. And yeah, gave us a lot of interesting stuff to talk about, a lot of interesting perspectives. So we're looking forward to uh, talking with him again in the future. Uh, but, anyways, at the end of that, everyone should go show JVE some love on Twitter. Yeah, go throw him a follow. Um, yeah, he's, he was great. Um, yeah, go show him some love on Twitter. Uh, yeah, and we talked a little bit there at the end of the interview about the Woo Sox because he was being a he was a volunteer assistant at Holy Cross. And last week we had Joe Bradley on. It's been a Holy lot of Cross, Woo Sox. You don't know, also located in Worcester. Also, yeah, that's my bad. Uh, but yeah, we've been talking a lot about the Woo Sox, but we have some bad news. Season has been delayed. Extremely unfortunate. did we have like a official reasoning for that or was that just Uh, covid i don't know all i'm saying though is it was not to any fault of our man joe bradley never he was definitely pushing for the season yeah he was he seemed pretty confident that they i mean polar park would be ready but i have a feeling that it was mostly a, a covid issue there so that stinks but uh yeah once polar park is open i think what may 1st or 2nd is now the new opening uh, day date yeah it might have been may 4th for some reason that date is sticking out to me Maybe. but i could be wrong have yeah first week in may there so that's exciting uh so yeah go woo socks but we're just gonna have to wait a little bit longer so here's the sitch apparently it's just supposed to run a month longer so the minor league season usually ends in about august It'll go like April to August, so now it'll just go May to September. I don't know what that does for September call-ups. Um, That's a good point. I don't know. but well, Haven't they basically eliminated that? It's like a 29-man roster now in in uh, September, so it's like only an extra like three guys. Pretty much. Um, Pretty much. So, yeah, something like that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to quickly bring up was the MLB is moving back to the 10-team playoff format, which I'm very excited about because I – Yeah, good. There were just too many 
teams last year. Like, I don't want the Marlins moving on every year when they, like, they're just well, not hey, good. Marlins, I was kind of pulling for them last year. It was cool to see. I mean, last year I was, it was like anything goes, but you know, in a regular MLB season, I like that the best teams get into the playoffs and they duke it out. Uh, I think that's how it should be. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And now we got some questions. Wait, ask on bridge. Wait, yeah. wait. what's up, Steve? Ask on bridge. Yeah. That's a thing. <laughs> buddy where have you been <laughs> yeah it's all right, let's roll into it should we do it? it off all right let's do it pull this up here first question comes in from ian he asks out of, up, the, ian? out of the three of you who hits 90 miles per hour first uh, Steve, i want i want you to go first because yeah you're the one betting against it the obvious answer is none of us no however but if gun to my head love that saying gun to my head life on the line probably would go with Clausen just because he's tall that's right that's right um it pains me to say but i i think the obvious answer here is Clausen. i mean he's a lot taller than steve that being said I. though if it was like really like in real life like one of you has to hit 90 miles per hour. There's a gun to my head. I would just be like, pull the trigger, man. Cause I'm not cool. <laughs> you, you wouldn't even let us throw. We'll see you in the afterlife. Save me some time. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even, even let us throw. You just, <laughs> nah, I would just get it over with. What if one of us just like magically pumped 90 after that? That would, that would suck. Yeah. I feel you bad would have you. to, it would be in my honor. It would only be because I sacrificed myself. So you were a martyr for our pitching Success. abilities. Yeah. Cool. Extra motivation. Clawson, between the two of us, who are you picking? You guys could wear a patch on there. Is that a, is that a question? Oh, God. Why, why would I bet against myself? No, oh, Eddie, you between and Steve? the two of us, yeah. Oh, you and Steve? Uh, it's tough. Steve's Mr. Glamour Muscles, so I got to go Gardner. <laughs> I don't understand that logic, but thanks. I saw Clawson at the gym yesterday he was repping the woo socks march i was like yes i, I was repping the woo socks yeah sweet i was putting up some nice bench numbers yeah what are you thinking right now? all i was thinking of was my uh my performance someday when joe bradley invites us to polar park to throw out the first pitch and i go out there and i pump 90 are you gonna be the next if you're saying you're moving some good weight you got to tell us what it is People want to know. Yeah, what do people you, want to know? What's what do you bench these days? Well, I don't know what my max bench is, but I'm on this plan. It's a five by five plan. So you do five reps for five sets, and I'm at five by five for 165 on the bench. And that weight's moving pretty good. So it's it's nothing too heavy, it's but pretty, the weight can move. It's pretty good. It's decent. We're getting there. Give it some time. All right. Anyways, we got another question. Okay. Actually, we have two more questions today. The next one comes in. The next one comes in from Brandon. Shout out to Brandon. Shout out Brandon. One of our What's biggest Brandon fans. or Brendan? Brandon. A-N-D-O-N or E-N-D-O-N? B-R-A-N-D-O-N. Awesome. So As Brandon. in Brandon. He's right. awesome. He's always, uh, always interacting with us on Twitter. We really appreciate it. Oh, Remind that Brandon. Gotcha. 
Disappointing, Clawson. Uh, you have a choice of the following Red Sox player to interview. Who would you interview? Manny, Lester, and Papelbon. Um, I would probably go with John Lester because I would love to hear his perspective of getting traded to Oakland and going on to win a World Series with the Cubs as well. I feel like he's got a really interesting journey that I would love to hear about uh, directly from the man himself. Hmm. Answer Survivor, too. That's right. That's right. Yeah, um, I f- yeah he had oh, cancer. Survivor. I thought you said he was on Survivor, yes. <laughs> no, no. John Dude, Lester was not on Survivor. He is not a reality show star. <laughs> uh, for me, so the obvious answer is Manny, because Manny's Manny. So I'll go in the other way, and I'll defend Jonathan Papelbon a little bit. And say that guy was a psychopath. He's definitely got some good <laughs> stories to tell. Um, so I would pick Papelbon just because I think that would be a pretty unique interview. Papelbon about that time he choked Bryce Harper in the dugout. That would be a good question to ask. Yeah, I think actually, we, we might would have to ask him that question because he might leave the yeah, zoo. You uh, definitely would want to save that one to be the last one because if you lead off with that, it's just you're asking for uh, for problems. I think for me. I'm just going to roll with the easy answer. I mean, it's Manny. Manny unfiltered would just be unbelievable. And I feel like he's gotten to a point now in his life where he can like really uh, like look back on the Red Sox and like tell some of those great stories from 2004, 2007. Um, I'd even love to know what happened in 2008 when he was traded. Uh, But I mean, listen, if we could get any of those three guys, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Sign us up. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, uh, we got one other question today comes in from our friend Robert at the Pesky Pole podcast, who uh, we will be beating out. in our fantasy baseball league. No question. Destroying, <laughs> mind you. Um, his question was Who's your dark horse pick to have a breakout season next year? Dark horse pick. For talking horse, I think you got to go Chavis. That's a good choice. For a second. You wouldn't go with your guy. I mean, Gardner, you predicted that Pavetta was going to be an all-star. Yeah, I did uh, two episodes ago. Yeah, I'm going to stick with my man, Nick Pavetta. He pitched what? What's today? Thursday? He pitched on yesterday or Tuesday? I think it was yesterday. He had a pretty solid solid outing. I mean, again. Let me crank one off him, but other than that. Hey, it's all right. It's spring training. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to roll with Pavetta. I like Pavetta. I think my dark horse, and I mentioned this in my bold predictions a couple weeks ago, but Erod to come out of the woodworks and be an ace for the staff is going to be my pick. But if you want another one, somebody else on that pitching staff has got to step up. So I can't name who it is, but somebody other than Erod on that pitching staff is going to blow it up. I got – it was a real dark horse one. I got Hunter Renfro hitting 20-plus home runs. I don't think that's too crazy. It all depends on how much playing time he gets. Yeah, I think that's the most – going to be the one storyline that's going to be interesting to follow in spring training is um, who kind of emerges as, like, the three main outfielders. Yeah, who's going to be every day. Obviously, Dougie is going to be in center. I saw I something one. that Dougie is the most – the longest-tenured Red Sox outfielder now. And I he just, is. He is. Just like, ah, I man. got a good one. 
my official dark horse pick for a breakout is the franchise Franchi Cordero. That dude's going to light it up. I feel it. The next David Ortiz? No, I mean, he hits like his hard hit ball percentage is through the roof. It's astronomical. So I hear if he's healthy, he's going to be a stud. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If he hits it, he hits it hard. And he's a lefty. So he can just benefit from that short wall right. He's going to be a tank. Also, I just had something uh, pop up real quick. I got like a little mini rant here. So there is a quote I saw the other day. I think it was from Xander where he was like, our goal is to make the playoffs and then we'll take it from there. And people are like, oh, Xander, like, why is it just the playoffs? Why isn't it the World Series? Like, I'm not watching this team if this is their goal. Like, the fans who are like that, just stop. I mean, listen, this team is not filled with superstars like it was. They're going to do what they have to do. Are they a playoff caliber team? Yeah, they're on the fringe of that. I'm not I'm not going to lie, but um, I just hate all the people. Like, I saw people on Twitter saying today, after Bradley signed with the Brewers, saying, like, this is it. This is the defining moment that I'm no longer watching the Red Sox. Like, <laughs> like if that's really what's going to push you over the edge, man, like, come on. So, I just – I think we – People are already fed up with Heim, which I get. 2020 no. was... What do you mean you get it? What has Heim done that deserves... No, I get, I get the that they're frustrated. I get that they're frustrated, but they're, they're surface-level fans. They're not the ones who, like... The ones who actually don't care are the ones who, like, about... The ones who don't care... I don't know how I'm trying to say this. About how Heim has performed so far is because we actually understand that. He hasn't gotten a fair chance yet in Boston. And I think that he's going to prove a lot of people wrong this year. He is. Look, he if is. you're mad because Andrew Bogart said our goal is to make the playoffs this year after last season where we stunk, we stunk we were out loud. really, really bad at baseball last year. And you're going to get mad at Bogart for saying that, for not saying that, oh, yeah, we're going to – World Series are bust this, this upcoming year. <laughs> Yeah, World Series are bust. Like, what are you talking about? What kind is of there, unrealistic expectation is that? I honestly don't think there's one thing that a player could say right now that wouldn't get people mad. I mean, if he said that, people would be like, oh, you're just full of it. Like, that's not going to happen. And if he says, listen, I think we're going to be mediocre, people are going to be like, well, I'm not tuning in if this is the work, the work ethic of this team. I mean, there, there's no middle ground, which stinks. So I'm riding on the prove them wrong 2021 Red Sox that just to hop in for a second. I think if the Sox make it to the playoffs, like actually make it to the playoffs, if they can make it to the wild card round. I think it just turns into this big, why not us type of situation? Because if they were so yeah. bad last year, I mean, they've done it before they went worse to first in 2013. Mm-hmm. And then unless I'm correct me if I'm wrong, they did in 2018. No, 2017 they were decent, but they oh, wait, lost no, they were to the. Uh, no, they lost to that team, the Astros, who ended up like cheating. That stinks. Yeah, not not ideal. Anyways, 2013 they went worse to first. Um, so why not again? Yeah, that's the bottom line. Is I just, I mean, listen, we're all young enough where our Red Sox tenure as fans has been unbelievably good. I mean we've been here for two decades and they've won two world series. I mean, for a lot of these 50 to 60 year old fans, your first 40 years as a Red Sox fan was dreadful. 
I mean, they were not, were not good. So I think we need to take it with a grain of salt here and look at it like, Hey, if we go five years without winning a world series, but we still make the playoffs, we still have some good seasons. That's okay. I mean, imagine being a Seattle Mariners fan and that's yeah. The Sox, the being a Sox fan since <laughs> 2000 has been interesting because we've experienced the highest highs and the lowest lows. We've mm-hmm. won four world series, but we've also experienced years like last year. Uh, we've experienced years like last year on a couple of separate occasions. So, yeah. So anyway, I would just say to those Red Sox fans, stick it out. I get that you can be frustrated with some of the moves that we've made. However, we have not seen them play a single game on the field. So until it hits mid-June and the Red Sox are 10 games out of first place, I don't think that you have much reason to argue right now until we can see what they do. Anyways, sorry for that little tangent there. Notes with Clawson. Do you have any notes? Is the well? You guys ask me every week, and I have plenty. Dude, one week you were like, I don't know, man. I'm kind of dry right now. Yeah, we have a whole segment named after you. So here's the (laughs) sitch. I have a bunch, but it's just the level at which I'm producing them is not. They're not all winners. I'll put it in baseball terms. For the month of July, I was hitting 450. For the month of August, I'm hitting under the Mendoza line. Oh no! <laughs> well, so, what do you have? My, so my average, my average is still in the 300s, mm-hmm. but I just blew up for a little bit. Now I'm slowing down. All right. Well, let's hear a note. Well, this one, this one's actually new. So we're starting to tick back up above the Mendoza line. All right. We're, let's hear it. You're like literally Jackie Bradley Jr. You're hot and you're cold. Exactly. I am Jackie Bradley Jr. So my first thing. If you guys haven't checked out Carabas' Twitter in the last week, the dude has freaked out about college baseball, and yeah. it has me so jacked up about it. Everything he's posted, I've watched every video. It's got me hyped up. I'm going to start watching college baseball. because he's good. These dudes are just electric. It's fantastic baseball. Yeah. Shout out UNH baseball. And club baseball. Yeah. Yeah. College baseball players are some characters. They're awesome. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, being around the Cape League guys for a bunch of years in my childhood, I mean, they were the best, the best. And, yeah, I feel like that's a division of the sport where I just don't really watch a lot of it. But I agree with you, Klaus, and I'm uh, excited to see more of it from Jared. Now's the time to start. And the other thing, and this can can tie in a little bit to the closing out the ninth, but I need new baseball jerseys, and I need suggestions – who to get? Red Sox, not Red Sox, just cool jerseys. So if I'm you got anything, you, huh? I said, I'm telling you, Bo Jackson on the Royals. It's a good suggestion. I need a, I need a wide, I need a wide casting net, and then I can start picking fish. Maybe Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders. It's a good, maybe. It's a good suggestion. Not yet. I don't know. Let me know. Tweet at Gone Bridge. Don't tweet at me. You can Last tweet year. at me if you want, but you're. You're not casting a, a very wide Twitter net. I am followed by six people, two of which are in this room. Let's go. Be a great one. Um, all right. We'll close out the ninth here. We got a, actually kind of a, a longer list this week to close out the ninth with. Uh, I guess I will start real quick. I have two things. First off, I saw a really interesting Fernando Tatis stat. We talked a lot last week about his humongous contract, but – 
Uh, he has less career at bats than Albert Pujols has career home runs. And that's absurd. I thought that was kind of crazy. But the other thing I got, friend of the show, Steve Peralt, is no longer the number one Steve baseball podcaster on Twitter after his account was suspended. Steve Brady has assumed the spot. A win by default is still a win. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It's a good. It's a good point. Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't know what happened with his Twitter, but I, I heard know. that he posted a, a GIF slash GIF, whatever you want to call it, of the movie Creed, like three years ago, and Twitter just now decided to copyright strike him for it. <laughs> don't worry. <really know. laughs> Twitter's a long way behind. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, also yeah. for closing out the ninth, uh, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, but the MLB is officially going to make June 2nd, Lou Gehrig's day. And it is going to be obviously in honor of Lou Gehrig, the Iron Man himself. Uh, and it's going to be in an effort to spread more awareness, raise more awareness and raise more money, uh, for ALS and people that suffer from it. Yeah, fantastic. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Yeah, they do all the stand-up to cancer stuff. They raise a bunch of money. So ALS is fantastic for that. All that all that raising money that they'll do. All that awareness they'll spread. Love it. Sweet. I got one last thing. I alluded to it a little bit in my little jersey question. But Barstool Sports, our good <laughs> friends, came out with a list today. So yesterday, if you're listening to this on Friday when we release it. And it was top 10 darty jerseys. And if you don't know what a darty is, don't ask us. Just look it up. But <laughs> our good friend, Jacoby Ellsbury, made the list at number nine. All right. Well, Jacoby Ellsbury is not my good friend. <laughs> Might be your good once, friend, Boston, one, but he's most certainly not my good friend. Once a, once a good friend, Jacoby Ellsbury, before he once a very injured outfielder for the Red committed Sox. fraud against the state of New York and the New York Yankees specifically <laughs> has made the list at number nine. And it doesn't happen to be a Red Sox Jacoby Ellsbury jersey when he was good. It happens to be a Jacoby Ellsbury jersey from the Yankees when he was very, very bad and very, very injured. So um, anybody at Barstool Sports, I would really like to know where you got this list from. Because there are some very questionable names on here, but Jacoby Ellsbury at nine stands out. So I was going to say the top two on this list are they're great. Vince they're, Carter's yeah. Vince Carter's throwback purple like dunk contest Toronto Raptors jersey. I mean, you don't get much better than that. And then the Michael Jordan Toon Squad from um, Space Jam is number two. But then going down the list, I mean, it just it falls off. It really falls off. I mean, like the one that continues to puzzle me is number six is Manu Ginobili. It's just with the USA basketball jersey from Argentina. Manu Ginobili is not American. (laughs) Yeah, the Mike Bibby. Like, there's some cool jerseys on here. It's just the names on the back of them. Like, I love that old like mint green Grizzlies uniform, but a Mike Bibby one, (laughs) like, questionable. The Kenny Hill Texas Eight. Sorry, Kenny Trill, Texas A&M jersey, once again, just confuses me. So uh, maybe maybe next week we'll come out with our own list of our own and try and 
try and compete with Barstool here, but I, I had to get it off my chest. It's just awful. Yeah, it was a tough list. Uh, anyways, you got any other closing thoughts for the week? Go Woo Sox. Send us more DMs. That yeah. too. Yeah, more DMs, more questions, anything. Yeah, the well has been kind of dry this past week, um, but uh, yeah. Also, if you're still listening, give you a little hint. We have another former player on the show next week. Woo! I'll give you a hint. He is currently an electronic music artist. Actually, quick plug right here before I forget. His new music is coming out tonight at midnight. Let's go. So if you know who this man is. We'll give him a little shout out. And if yeah, you can we'll, do the investigative work, we'll figure out who it is. That's a good call. Someone could call the music, uh, quote unquote, house music. I don't really know what that means because I don't listen to that particular I genre. Feel like it's like electronic. Yeah. He's I don't f- know why they call it house Former music. Red Sox first baseman, former player. So, yeah, if you can connect those dots, awesome. Top but it's not, it, it's not Pat Light. I'll say that right now. Not Pat Light. Probably never will be Pat Light. Honestly. Might not. Might not be ever Pat Light. Uh, anyways, we will wrap this up here. Thank you for listening this week. This was a good episode, jam-packed with a lot of stuff. So if you enjoyed what you were hearing, follow us on Instagram at Gone Bridge Podcast and Twitter at Gone Bridge. Uh, subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, we also really appreciate uh, you know, nice reviews on the Apple Podcasts. And we will be back next week. Another guest for episode 19. See ya.